Well, good morning, River West Church. It is a great, it's a great morning. It's, it's good to be with everybody today. I've missed you all. And it's been a while. It's been a while since I've been here sharing. I see so many faces um, from a long time ago and more recently. And um, so just thank you so much for being here this morning. I appreciate the invitation to come and share what has been called a farewell sermon. That sounds kind of dramatic, so I'm not really, no, I'll just go with that though. Um, And what's interesting is that um, when I was invited to come and share, I knew instantly what I wanted to share. It's the weirdest thing. It's like I knew instantly what I wanted to share and the passage of scripture that I wanted to bring. So, um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited to bring that to everybody this morning. But first, a bit of a life update. As I'm sure most of you have heard, Maureen and I, and my amazing wife, Maureen, is here in the front row, and anything I say, all glory and honor goes to Maureen. Um, a life update. So yes, we have sold our house, and it is true we are moving to San Diego. And people have asked, so when is this happening? And the answer is tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., the truck pulls up to our house and loads everything on and they drive away and we will follow soon after that. Now, some of you have heard that both Marina and I are from the Southern California area, coastal Southern California originally. And so the reason we're moving is to kind of go back to our roots. And that is true, but it's only partially true. That's not the full truth uh, of the matter. So some of you know that we also have children and grandchildren that now live in San Diego. And so um, the thought is, well, we're moving down there because we have kids and grandkids in San Diego, so we want to be near them. And that is true, but it's only partially true (laughs) as well because we also have kids and grandkids here in Portland. So it's that kind of hard, that makes it really, really difficult to make this decision. There's another factor which looms large in all of this, and you'll understand this as followers of Christ, and it's very simply that we feel directed by God to make this move. This is not something that we've done lightly. In fact, we have been praying intensely and thinking about this and talking about this and taking counsel from friends and mentors for over a year now about making this decision. And at the end of the day, we, it's inescapable. We just keep coming back to the fact that we feel that this is what God actually wants us to do. Now, Maureen and I are huge believers in the promise of new beginning. That's the way that we've lived our life. And uh, in, in a way, that's what River West is founded on, you know, in our key verse is the promise of new beginning. So 42 years ago, Marie and I left Southern California and we moved to Medford and uh, we planted a church there. We started in a, actually it was a daycare center with like 10 people and we stayed there for 10 years and that was a new beginning and, and it was an amazing experience and there's a church there called Cornerstone that's thankfully still there to this day. So that's an awesome thing. 
And then 32 years ago, we left Medford and we wandered around in the wilderness a bit and we ended up moving to Portland and we started in the living room with a handful of people once again and it was a new beginning for us and that was the beginning of River West Church. And now we are convinced that God has another chapter for us in our lives, that God actually has another new beginning. And that's the way that we're looking at this. And by the way, word of advice, you should always look at your life as an episode of new beginnings, one after another that God wants to do, because Jesus says, I make all things new. For the last four years, I've been working with pastors in a teaching and mentoring role at Western Seminary. So over four years, I've worked with over 60 pastors. Um, These pastors uh, are from Canada, Seattle, larger Northwest, Portland, the Bay Area, and I even have one now in my class who is in Serbia who (laughs) comes on Zoom. Isn't Zoom amazing? So we're all there. You know, it's in the middle of night for him, and it's kind of sad because he looks like he's going to fall asleep at any minute. Now, I'm going to continue in that role, and so Western Seminary has given me the option of flying to Portland once a month to teach this class and to continue these mentoring relationships. So, um, we will be returning once a month to Portland. So, look at you can't beat it, right? So, we got grandkids and teaching pastors. Like in my life, that's, that's it, you know, that's the pinnacle. So, so every month we'll be able to continue doing that. And I guess when we realized that that was not location specific, some of these other factors started to come into play and we thought, well, maybe God is leading us to a new beginning. Meanwhile, uh, we want to continue to develop our partnership with our friend Nopum in Myanmar, as well as finding other ministry partners in Southern California. So that's part of our goal. If you want to get a hold of me, you can do it like this. You can just write down, if you want, guy at pastorguygray.com. And someone said, what, you have your own .com? <clears throat> well, here's the thing. If you go to pastorguy.com, you'll get a blank screen. <laughs> or it'll say something weird on it. I, I, I did it, and it, I was offended by what it said to me. Um, So this is mainly just an email address right now. Now, perhaps something will follow on that website. We'll have to wait and see. But guy at pastorguygray.com, so if you want to send me a message or, you know, anything, then you can do so through that. So that's the life update. But this morning, I'm excited to share a message with you because, like I said, I, I instantly knew what it was that I felt God wanted me to share. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to leave you with three images, three pictures, three images to paste up in your heart and mind, images to take with you to help guide you in your Christian life and ministry. So let's go to our passage. We're going to read the passage, and uh, I'm going to share with you these images that I would like to leave with you this morning, and for each image, there's a core conviction that goes with it. So we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Now, the Gospel of Mark is thick with nonstop action. 
It seems to be in the Gospel of Mark one miracle after another, one controversy after another. Even within chapter 6 itself, before our passage, in chapter 6, Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. The 12 disciples are sent out on a mission. Herod decapitates John the Baptist and serves his head up on a platter at a gruesome feast. And Jesus performs the miracle of feeding 5,000 with a few loaves and fish. So that's all in chapter 6, right? So this is thick with nonstop action. And then we come to our passage in 6.45. And immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, but he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, moored to the shore, and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. From this story, I want to take three images. Jesus, the disciples, and the crowd. Jesus, the disciples, and the crowd. Image number one is Jesus alone on the mountain in prayer. Image number two is the disciples in the boat struggling hard at the oars in the dark of night. And image number three is the crowd of hurting people on the shore, hoping and longing to be healed. Now, these are three images I want to give to you to guide you, images to help us. And for each image, I want to share a core conviction of the Christian life and ministry. 
I'm doing this for two reasons. One is because these images and these core convictions really define my own thinking and my own experience, not just as a pastor or a minister, but as a Christian. And I want to share them with you. This is 45 years later of of Christian experience and pastoral ministry. I want to share them with you because I think they might help you and encourage you as individuals and also River West as a church as you move into the future. So the first image is Jesus on the mountain in prayer. Immediately, verse 45, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, but he was alone on the land. And he, he saw them. He's alone. He's up on the mountain. He's praying. But he sees them. I, I don't know how he sees them, because if you know anything about Galilee in that region, to be up high in a mountain in the middle of the night and to see a little boat going across, eh, maybe not. But Jesus, Jesus sees them. You know, mountain scenes in the Gospels are all images of transcendence and glory. This scene is a preview of another mountain scene which will come shortly later in the Gospel of Mark in chapter nine. It's what we call the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus invites some of his disciples up into the mountain and there he's praying, it says in Luke, just like in this scene, and then he's transfigured in front of them and, and they see his glory. And what they really get is they get a preview of the glory of Christ, the risen Lord, in that moment. He had just spoken of his cross, and now they get a preview of the glory of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Mountain scenes in the Gospels are images of transcendence and glory. There's been a lot of action in the Gospel of Mark. It's quick pace, immediate, 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 miracle, controversy, all these things. A lot of action in chapter 6. But now, just for the moment, there's a pause in the action. This unexpected thing happens where it's like the text wants to isolate Jesus. Gone are the crowds. Gone for the moment is all the controversy. Even the disciples are gone. They're out of the frame. There's only one person in the frame of our view, and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ in that frame is high and lifted up on the mountain and he sees all things. He sees the disciples struggling and he sees us. He sees you, he sees me, he sees River West Church from that place of transcendence and glory. And there he's praying for the disciples. You think, well, what is he praying about? He's praying for those disciples. He's praying for the world. He's praying about the mission. Now, this is the magnificent portrait of Jesus that we need to hold up in our heart and mind to guide us and to sustain us. 
So with this image comes the first core conviction for Christian life and ministry. And that core conviction is the unique glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's core conviction number one and everything else depends on this one. The unique glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the first and most important conviction of my own life for the last 45 years. And I believe it is a conviction that is actually woven into the DNA of River West Church. Now, some of you know my story. I've, I've told it enough in sermons that you probably know that as a young man of 19 years old, I came to faith in Christ from atheism through the witness of a loving Christian church and the preaching of the gospel. And over a course of about a year, I started wrestling with the reality of the resurrection. And somehow, maybe it was like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, I don't know, the Holy Spirit just, just one day I found myself absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ was risen, that this was a historical reality. And that discovery, that realization transformed my world, it transformed my life, and it actually set me on a quest, and I think of it as the quest of a lifetime. And that quest has been to see and understand the unique glory of Jesus Christ. And it's actually a quest that continues to this day. The quest isn't over. It's a lifetime quest. This is how the quest has gone for me. It started with that re the um, understanding of the reality of Jesus Christ and the reality of his resurrection. Now, I know for a lot of people, it doesn't start there. <laughs> it starts with, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus and he died for my sins and God loves, you know, and all these things. But they didn't start there for me. It was just, bam. If Jesus Christ is risen, then God exists and my world is turned upside down. So it began with the reality of the res resurrection, but it moved quickly from there to an encounter with the power of the cross of Christ. But the cross of Christ is the power of God into salvation to all who believe. Now, I had a background as, you know, earlier in the Catholic Church. And I didn't understand the gospel at that point. And I was actually moving towards atheism. And I would see Jesus hanging on the cross in the Catholic Church, and it's like, this makes no sense to me. And so actually, when I became a Christian, the idea of Jesus on the cross, it, it sort of, I was repelled a little bit because I didn't understand it, and I associated it with maybe some weird things that I had experienced as a young man in that Catholic background which I, is not their fault, but it's just that I didn't, I didn't get it. But as I began to study scripture, I, I began to realize, wait a minute, the cross is the power of God and his salvation. The cross is the revelation of the love of God. Okay, power of God and resurrection, love of God and the cross, forgiveness in the cross, the gospel and the cross. And I began to love the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. That was step two. Step three for me in this quest was an exploration of the witness of the whole Bible to the true identity of Jesus. Now this one 
you just have to kind of wrap your head around this. So, okay, Jesus is the risen Lord. Yes. The cross is the power of God and the love of God. Yes. Well, now I'm a pastor and I'm teaching the Bible. You know, every week, sermon after sermon. Yeah, I've been doing this for 45 years. It's, I have thousands of sermons. And as I'm, as I'm reading and studying, I'm beginning to put the pieces together and understanding that what it says in Luke 24, that all of Scripture, all of Scripture points to Jesus. I'm beginning to see it. And so now I'm on a quest to explore the witness of the whole Bible, the witness to who Jesus truly is in his identity which leads to the fourth step in the quest, and that's the ongoing quest to see the unique glory of God in Jesus Christ in the gospel. And that's driven me for 45 years in everything that I do. I viewed every sermon as an opportunity to continue the quest. <laughs> every sermon. I'm like, yes, Lord, I want to bless these people, but Lord, <laughs> thank you. I get, to, I get to take time and, and see the glory of Jesus in the text, in scripture. I get to do this. And so for 45 years, every sermon has been an opportunity to do that. For 45 years, every intellectual or cultural challenge that I have wrestled with, I have viewed as an opportunity to see the unique glory of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of cultural challenges. There's cultural challenges right now, right? Did I miss something? <laughs> there's always been cultural challenges. You know, um, when I went off to study Islam, you know, the church was gracious, sent us on sabbatical, and I told my wife, I'm, I want to go to Oxford and study Islam, and my wife is like, really? Really? That's, that's what you want to do? I'm like, yeah. So, <laughs> so I said, I'll tell you what, we'll go to Paris, for three weeks, <laughs> and then I'll go to Oxford and study Islam. So we cut a deal, right? It's a little marital wisdom there. And a lot of people are like, why, why would you take the time to study Islam? Like, why would you do that? And, and here's the answer. It was a two-part answer. One is because it's a cultural issue right now. ISIS and the whole thing, and so it was a cultural issue. But the bigger reason is this, is because it's part of the quest. Because I studied Islam not to see the glory of Islam, but to see the glory of Jesus. Because by comparison and contrast, you begin to understand the unique glory of Jesus Christ. And after 45 years of being on this quest, I'm more convinced than ever. I'm more convinced than ever of the uniqueness of Jesus. There is nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ in the entire world or in all of history. And there is no one like Jesus Christ, our Lord, in all of history or all the world. And the gospel is the most outrageous collection of truths the world has ever heard. God incarnate in human flesh who died upon a cross for our sins and rose again in ultimate victory over death and is now King of kings and Lord of lords who will bring his people to dwell with him eternally. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And I'm more convinced than ever. And that's, but the quest isn't over. So now you're like, well, why do you teach pastors in seminary? Well, I, I want to mentor pastors, but you know what it really is? 
It's all part of the quest. I mean, think about how great this is. My class is called Applied Biblical Literature, so I take a group of seasoned pastors through the entire Bible every year, and I'm on a quest to see Jesus, you know, and to see his glory, and I see it shining more brightly all the time, and that is a fantastic thing. So here's the action step. Set your life in ministry on a quest. It can't be just a quest to do things for God. It can't be just a quest to be a part of a community. Your quest needs to be to see Jesus for who he truly is. And it's a lifetime quest. Pray, search the scriptures, see Jesus, and then put your whole life and all of your trust in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Image number one is Jesus on the mountain in prayer. The second image is the disciples. The disciples in the boat, struggling at the oars in the night. Here's the way it puts it in the ESV. In verse 48, it says, Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth hour of the night, Jesus came walking on the water. Now, the fourth hour of the night is about 3 a.m., folks. <laughs> and I love what it says. They were making headway painfully. But, you know, most other translations simply say they were struggling at the oars. They're struggling at the oars. And for every, I guess, pull <laughs> of the oars, the wind would push them back. It felt like they weren't going anywhere. I can picture it in my mind. It's pitch dark. It's 3 a.m. There's spray coming over the bow. They're drenched with lake water and sweat, exhausted, and wondering all the while, where is Jesus? And why did he force us to do this? Because did you notice in the opening of the story, it says Jesus made his disciples get in the boat? It's a very strong word. He forced them. Because the disciples were like, nah, I don't really want to get in the boat. Can we just hang out with you? Like, look at, look at all these people. Look, at, we had 12 baskets full of leftovers. We could just stay here and eat leftovers. It'd be awesome. Jesus forced them. He forced them. No. You get in the boat and you go. And now they're out at 3 a.m., exhausted in the dark. And going, why did Jesus force us to do this? And by the way, where is Jesus right now? With this image of the disciples struggling in the boat comes a second core conviction of Christian life and ministry. And it's simply this. Christian life and ministry is hard. Christian life and ministry is incredibly hard and yet filled with wonder. Filled with wonder. Christian life and ministry is incredibly hard by design. It's by design. Jesus forced them to go out there. It's hard, it's difficult by design. This is an image you need to carry with you River West Church, when I think of the beginnings of the church, 
I think of the difficulties that so many of us went through. We moved our family into an unfinished basement in Beaverton and began meeting with a handful of like seven people. We had a pure sense of calling, clear sense of calling to come to Portland. But then what? It was more like Jesus sent us out on the lake in a storm <laughs> than anything else. And we did 10 years of mobile church in five locations. And it was hard and it was tiring. And I want to say to all of those who struggled with us at the oars, and you know who you are <laughs> through all those years, I want to say thank you. Thank you for struggling hard and making progress painfully. Actually, the word painful means torture, right there. <laughs> torture is like, it was torturous to do these things. I think of the young pastors, and not all young, but I think of the pastors in the cohort that, that I teach. And this last year has been extremely difficult. And we spent hours talking about it together as a, as a class, as a cohort. And these pastors are comparing notes. Doesn't matter where they are. Doesn't matter if they're in Canada or in the Bay Area or in the Northwest or in Serbia. It doesn't matter. It's, it's rough going. People are leaving the church. People are leaving the church because they don't wear masks. People are leaving the church because they do wear masks. <laughs> People are leaving the church because they say black lives matter. People are leaving the church because they say black lives don't matter. People are, are upset about everything. I call it COVID madness. <laughs> it's descended upon us. It's descended upon the church. And these pastors are tearing their hair out and they're just going, what do we do? And I tell them, core conviction. I guess I didn't need to tell you this. Christian life and ministry is hard. Think of my friend, Pastor Nopum in Myanmar, right now, where there's violence in the streets. People are being shot and killed. They can't get money out of the bank. Some people are starving because of the, the, the impact that all this has on them with, with COVID added on top. And sometimes we email back and forth and Pastor Nopum is not one to complain. <laughs> but I think he would admit this is hard. This is, this is difficult. So why is it so difficult? Well, there's headwinds for sure. You know, headwinds, if you've ever rode in, or, or been biking in headwinds, you know, it's, it's tough going. But that's not all. You know, we could point to the cultural headwinds and say, yeah, it's, that's really tough. But I think there's other reasons it's hard. I think it's hard because of the people in the boat with us. They're just irritating. Now, I can take headwinds. I just can't take the people on the boat. <laughs> you know? They don't think like me. I got maskers and non-maskers in the boat. I got vaxxers and anti-vaxxers in the boat. I got Democrats and Republicans in the boat. I got social activists and anti-CRT people in the boat. They're all there. So now they all want to get, you know, build separate boats. 
So they're all in their boat. You got the maskers boat, the non-maskers boat, the Black Lives Matter boat, you got the social justice boat, you got all these boats, and everybody's getting in their own boat with their own people, and everybody thinks that Jesus, their boat is the Jesus boat. But it's not. It's not. And you know what? Jesus is about to pass them by. They're on the water rowing, look, Jesus, it is. We got the right boat. And Jesus is like, see ya. He's about to pass them by. It's tough times that we live in. And it's not just tough to be in ministry. It's just tough to be alive. <laughs> you know? Everybody struggles. And your life is hard. And then being a Christian, you think it's going to make it all easy, but it doesn't. And we realize it's, it's difficult. And then we realize, listen to this, Christian life and ministry is difficult by design. It's by design. Jesus made them go out there. Jesus saw them struggling, and he let them struggle. It's by design because only in the struggle can you see the full glory of Jesus and learn to trust him? It's only in the struggle. So maybe I left something out earlier when I said, you know, it's the resurrection, the cross, the whole Bible, testimony to Jesus. We begin to see who Jesus is, go on a quest, seek the Lord, pray. Oh, I forgot, I left one thing out. All of that's great, but without the struggle, you'll never really see the truth of who Jesus is because it's in the struggle that we find Jesus showing up and doing extraordinary things that we couldn't have thought of, we would have never expected. And suddenly we see Jesus for who he truly is in the midst of that struggle. And by the way, isn't it weird? Now, this, it says it right here in the text. I'm not making this up. They saw him, and they were terrified. Um, no, it's in verse 48. They're making headway painfully. The wind is against them. Fourth hour, uh, watch of the night. I mean, so it's 3 a.m. He comes to them walking on the sea, and literally it says he intended to pass them by. That's what it says. He intended to pass them by. Isn't that weird? I mean, I read that, and I go, wait a minute. Now, why did he intend to pass them by. And so let's just start by saying this is a mystery. It's mysterious. And that's okay. It's mysterious. If you think you have Jesus all figured out, you're wrong. You're wrong. You don't. If you think your group, your tribe, your political party, your ideology has Jesus all figured out, you're wrong. You do not have Jesus all figured out. And Jesus is about to pass you by. We're on a life quest where we're in situations and you're gonna learn something new about Jesus that you never knew before, never expected. Why did Jesus intend to pass them by? I'll tell you what I think. I think Jesus is gonna pass them by because Jesus is on his way to the shore, to the mission, to the hurting people. The disciples are like, hey, well, what about us? <laughs> Your job, Jesus, is to take care of us in the boat. Can you see? We're in the boat. We're not making progress. You sent us out here. We've left everything to follow you. Get in the boat. Your job is here with us. 
And Jesus is on a mission to go over there and to minister to those people over there. I'm speculating because <laughs> it's a mystery, but it's in there. And I love it. Sometimes I've wondered where is Jesus in all this? Where is the Lord? I can't find the Lord. I can't see the Lord in this. Why aren't you answering my prayer, Lord? And, you know, at the right time, he shows up. And so, you know, they cried out. And you know what's cool? He did get in the boat. He's like, okay. <laughs> all right, I'll get in the boat. And he calmed the storm. What a beautiful thing. What's the action step for image number two and conviction number two? The action step is keep going. Keep going, don't stop. To keep going, even though it's hard. And the third image is the crowd. This is the crowd of hurting people on the shore, hoping desperately to be healed. Now this crowd stands for the core conviction of mission. It stands for the core conviction of the heart of God for our world. I love it. Jesus is on the mountain praying. Disciples are struggling, and now they're on the shore. And just like that, there's hurting people. There's hurting people. The heart of Jesus is for the world. Jesus is going to pass them by. He's going over here to minister to these people. Do you want to join me in that? Jesus is ever on mission to a broken, hurting world. I want to share just a few things from this final point with you. And the first is this. The opportunity for ministry is always right in front of us. It's always right in front of us. Anywhere you find hurting people, you'll find Jesus. Anywhere you find hurting people, you'll find the mission of Christ. It's as simple as that. People say, well, pastor, is this your last sermon? Is this gonna be your last sermon that you'll ever preach? Here's what I believe. I believe that your life is a sermon. I believe that what you do is your sermon. I believe that who you are is your sermon. I believe that how you look at the world around you and if you live your faith out, that's your sermon. And if you have the opportunity to get up in front of a group of people and talk and do a sermon, that's great. <laughs> Every day is a sermon. Everything we do is a sermon. And all of it is mission. And it doesn't matter if it's being in a stadium, speaking to a bunch of people, or if it's just going and finding some hurting people in your city and reaching out in the love of Christ. That's your sermon. The opportunity for ministry is always right in front of us. And the other thing is that Jesus teaches us to use the two hands of the gospel. So Jesus went to the shore, and, and you know what? They just started dragging people out of their houses. Jesus is here, and they're bringing people on mats to Jesus. That happened everywhere he went. They're bringing broken, hurting lives to Jesus. 
And Jesus has taught us at River West about the two hands of the gospel. On the one hand, there are acts of compassion, mercy, and can I use the word justice? It's actually in the Bible, by the way. And on the other hand, there is the proclamation of the message of the gospel. It's the two hands of the gospel. Jesus didn't heal people just to prove who he was. Jesus didn't heal people just to prove that the gospel is true. He did it because he cares. He cares. The battle between the social gospel people and the gospel proclamation people is a mistake. It's a huge mistake and it's raging right now uh, like a wildfire. (laughs) Jesus' only concern is not just to get people into heaven for eternity. That's not his only concern. I have heard this so many times. Nothing matters but then to get a soul into heaven for eternity. In the scope of eternity, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if people suffer. It doesn't matter if people are happy. As long as they're in heaven for eternity, you know, it makes sense on paper until you read the Bible and you go, that's not right. God actually cares right here and right now about hurting people simply because they're hurting. And the mission of Jesus was always to find those hurting people and to bring to them compassion and healing and, of course, the message, the proclamation of the gospel. The church should always be on the front lines of bringing hope and help and healing to the hurting and the oppressed. Always. The church should be on the front lines, not running the other way with a gospel track and saying, we're just going to get people into heaven. This is Jesus and the crowd on the shore. Now, these are guiding convictions that have guided my life. This is sort of in the DNA of who I am. And it's taken a long time to form all that. I mean, it didn't, you know, it took 45 years, I guess, to solidify those things. But those have been guiding convictions. Now, I believe those convictions are worked into the DNA of River West Church as well. And I want to leave you with these images because I'd like you to paste them up in your heart and mind. Jesus on the mountain the unique glory of Jesus, the disciples struggling in the boat because life and ministry is hard and we're going to stay at it with Jesus and the crowd on the shore because the mission is always right in front of us if we just open our eyes. There's endless opportunity. And that, my friends, is what I want to share. Can I say a prayer with you? Thank you, Lord for this wonderful congregation, these beloved friends. Thank you, Lord, for those who have struggled at the oars, making progress painfully at times. Thank you so much, Lord, for the awakening sense of mission that you've given us through the years at River West and the two hands of the gospel. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for the unique glory of who you are. 
and how that is the sustaining factor, Lord, and the, the motivating factor and the driving factor of all of our faith, of all of our hope, of all of our identity as Christians. And we pray, Lord, I pray for each of us, myself included, that we might continue on that quest and be more rooted and grounded in the truth of Jesus Christ than ever before. So we thank you, Lord, and we commit our way to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can we say thank you to Guy this morning? Thank you, Adam. And actually, I'm going to have you stand, and um, Maureen, can you come up, Maureen? Come on in, guys. And we'd just love to take a minute and say a prayer for Guy and Maureen, and so would you do this? Would you just stretch out a hand of blessing over them, and a couple of us are going to say a prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father... We thank you for Guy and Maureen. Thank you for calling them out of darkness into life in Christ. Thank you for their vision for the church and their commitment to it through all these years. Guy's willingness to walk away from a successful business career to serve the church. We pray, Lord, may there be extraordinary things ahead, things that we've never imagined, that they've never imagined, and so would you bless them as they go to California. Father, thank you. The quality of somebody's life is a sermon. Father, thank you for the way that Guy and Marine have faithfully represented your son, Jesus. Thank you for the way that the glory of Jesus Christ has transformed lives, both here and abroad. Lord, I, I know that you will go with them. I'm grateful, for, Lord, that this sermon is not finished. You've been faithful, Lord, to supply grace in every season and, and before us, Lord. We just want to recognize in this moment, Lord, that through, Lord, your faithfulness, their hard work and sacrifice, Lord, you've done a miracle. This community is a miracle, and we do believe, Lord, that you're not finished and that you will glorify your son, and so carry them, Lord, in your grace into this next chapter. We send them, Lord, in the power and the grace and the perfect name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. amen.